Uh, We have been studying through the book of Ruth, and we will be looking at it today. So uh, while you're turning there, um, we read the book out loud. Normally, uh, we've been studying through a chapter at a time, and as we've been studying through a chapter at a time, I just kind of read a select passage. However, uh, we will not do all of chapter 4 today. Um, As I was studying, uh, chapter 4 breaks out into two major portions, two uh, parts. And so first part is 1 through 12. Second part is 13 through 22. And so part one will be today and we'll do part two tomorrow or not tomorrow, next Sunday. No one will be here tomorrow. So, uh, so if you uh, haven't picked up one of these, uh, this is a study through the book of Ruth, a, a Bible study or more of a devotional, I should say, through the book of Ruth. And so since we're doing Ruth one more week, if you haven't done any, you should pick one up. It'll take you 20 minutes to read the whole book. So there's three devotions per week. So feel free to just do all 12 this whole week, uh, two a day, and then you're good. So uh, we want to make sure you grab these. We've been giving them out the whole uh, time we've been studying the book of Ruth. But grab one, uh, if you would, and you can study through the book of Ruth devotionally. So anyway, uh, we're in chapter four of the book of Ruth. So since we're studying half of the book, I'm going to read it all. So uh, if you're able to here, we stand as we read the word of God together. So I'm in Ruth chapter four, starting in verse one. You can go ahead and stand. Uh, I'm going to read through verse 12. After I finish reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. And after I say this is the word of the Lord, you'll say, Thanks be to God. And you're saying thanks be to God, of course, to say thank you, God. You'd be so kind to speak to us, to give us your word. He didn't have to do it, and he did. But also let thanks be to God serve for you as a way to your saying, yes, Lord, I want to obey all the things you say. Help me see and understand Jesus better today. Um, Open my eyes. So starting at verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1. Now, Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, a redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. Of whom Boaz had spoken came by. And Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. And and then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of many elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not... Tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead of his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself. I cannot redeem it. Now, this was custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, one drew off a sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So, when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off a sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders of the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gates of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who built who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. 
And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord would give to you by this young woman. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You have a seat. Lord, thank you so much for your word. I pray that as we study uh, this first half of Ruth chapter 4, that you would help us see and understand uh, just how great of a story this is and how it adorns the good news of Jesus and how it explains to us so much about what Christ is like. Um, I pray that as we study, Lord, that you would uh, help us to want to be like these characters uh, in our own daily walk where we would want to display this Hesed love, um, this unconditional love they have for each other. But more than anything, God, I pray that you open our eyes to see Jesus in this Old Testament story and that our hearts would be just amazed at the grace of Jesus to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, if you haven't been here, I'll, I'll catch you up pretty quickly. And so you can kind of know what's going on. So when we start Ruth chapter four, you're not totally in the dark. Um, Ruth takes place in the time period of the judges, which is the book right before it. And as, uh, as it takes place in the time period of the judges, uh, kind of the, the main verse that lets us know what's going on in the time period of judges is towards the end, Judges 21, 25, where they had no king and everyone just did what was right in their own eyes. And when everybody does what's right in their own eyes, generally they're not walking with God, they're not making good decisions. And so as that's going on, uh, this particular, uh, Book of Ruth took, took place probably somewhere between chapter 4 of Judges into 16 of Judges, somewhere in there, uh, during this down, kind of dark period of the book of Judges. Well, uh, a famine hit in the, in the area, in, in, in Bethlehem, and so this man, his name was Elimelech, uh, did not want to stay there in, in Bethlehem, which is also known as the House of Bread. And so he took his family and he left uh, Bethlehem and went east to Moab. Now he had a wife whose name was Naomi. He had two sons, Malon and Kilion. And when they went over there, uh, Elimelech trying to avoid death ends up dying. And while they're over in Moab, his two sons, uh, take, take wives, Ruth and Orpah. And so, uh, Word came in chapter one, verse six, it says word came to Naomi, his wife. She had already lost her husband and her two sons that Bethlehem, the city, the, the, the place of bread was actually starting to get food again. So she said, well, I'm leaving here and I'm going back to Bethlehem. So she takes the 50 mile trek back to Bethlehem on the way. She tells her two daughters-in-law because her sons had both died that they should stay. One of them stays and goes back to Moab, Orpah. The other daughter-in-law, Ruth says, no, I'm going to come with you and gets converted on the walk back. We think, it, I think it's an, uh, on the walk back in verses 16 through 18 through 20. You can see the conversion of Ruth where she says, your God's going to be my God. I don't want to follow the false gods anymore. Instead, I want to come back. I don't want to be part of your people. Now, Moab had this, had this wretched history of being born in the line of Lot, uh, where Lot's two daughters um, get him drunk and get pregnant by him. And so there's a line of incest where the Moabites had started. And so the Moabite women had kind of this history of not being great women. Well, besides Ruth, she ends up, actually she's converted being an amazing woman. Uh, so when they get back in town, um, Ruth knows a little bit about the laws. And if this was a field, she knew that she could glean on the edges because Israelite law allowed people who were kind of the marginalized to glean on the edges and take food from themselves. So she gets back in chapter two. She says, well, 
uh, I'm going to go get us some food, Naomi, because we're starving to death. We might as well try to do something. So she goes and she's gleaning on the edges and she just happens, as it says in the Hebrew, a chance chanced that she would go upon this field of Boaz. Now, this isn't chance chanced. This is the providential hand of God. Providential hand of God is his sovereignty and his goodness leading her into here. Uh, if he's just sovereign and not good, that's bad. If he's just good but can't do anything about it, he's not sovereign, that's not good. He's both. So he's Throughout the entire book of, of, of Ruth, what we're seeing is the invisible providential hand of God moving. There's the visible hand of God working through miracles. That's not what's happening in the book of Ruth at all. As we see, God's moving where people are working their job. They're, they're going to the field. They're working it. And food is coming up. That's all the providential hand of God being good, nevertheless. And so as she's there, she goes upon this field who just happens to be related to uh, Elimelech, which was Naomi's former husband. Well, um, he has a meal with her uh, and 214, as well as other, every, all the other people. He gives her lots of extra food. He protects her. Uh, he tells everybody that they can't mess with her. He tells her that she can come as much as she wants to this field and stay at this field. So he's given her lots of generosity and showing an amazing kind of uh, generosity towards her. But as you're reading it, the writers want you to see that, that maybe... Just perhaps there's something going on between these two as well. Well, about six to eight weeks goes by and nothing has happened. All the harvests are coming down to an end and they're not really going to see each other anymore. And so Naomi, whom Ruth has been living with, serving and being just as Boaz has been kind and generous to, Naomi, uh, to Ruth. Ruth is being kind and generous to Naomi. They're both showing what's known as Hesed love, kindness, the, this unbelievable love of God that's, that's shown to us, that they're showing to each other. They're demonstrating Christ's likeness all around. Well, nevertheless, um, as that's going on, Naomi, the mother-in-law, cooks up this plan uh, in chapter 3 uh, where she says, and it's not the best of advice, but it does work. She says, I want you to just go up to the threshing floor at midnight and I want you to just basically let him just do whatever he needs to do in order to, to make you his bride. Just say, she says, just go up there at night, kind of lay there with him and say, what do you want to do next? Well, she takes that advice to some degree, but she takes it even further. She basically just says, hey, uh, here's the deal, uh, Boaz. Let's go ahead and get married. We should do that. You should marry me. I should marry you. I think it should work out. And so Boaz was like, all right, let's do that. And he should, it was late at night. It's really late. And he says, don't leave right now because it's dangerous. But as soon as, as soon as the, the sun comes up, I want you to get out of here. So no one thinks anything shameful of you. And I'm going to take care of it. And she says, all right. And so she goes back to her mother-in-law uh, after that little episode at the threshing floor at midnight. And she's telling her mother-in-law everything that's going on. And her mother-in-law like, is like, here's what's going to happen. Today, like this day right now, He's going to take care of it. And you can see that at the very end of chapter 3, verse 18, the mother-in-law said, Wait, my daughter. He, she, she's telling her at the beginning of the chapter to go. And now she's saying, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. Here it is. For the man will not rest, but will sat, settle the matter today. And she's absolutely right. Um, he's not going to waste any time. He wants to marry Ruth. He loves Ruth. Uh, he... Maybe he didn't know that Ruth cared about him. Nevertheless, they figured it all out that night on the threshing floor with, with nothing uh, wrong or sinful happening. And he's going to settle the matter today. So that, that's where we are here in verse 1 where it says, Now Boaz. So what we see here is this new kind of thing here. This is the redemption that's happening in Ruth chapter 4. Finally, uh, the redemption's hap- happening.
happening. You can go ahead and put up the first title there, slides. This is The Redemption. And there's going to be two resolutions. Uh, as I said, I'm, I'm going to look at the second resolution next week. That's the genealogical resolution that's going to happen. But today we're going to look at the actual legal resolution that's going to happen. So you can go ahead and put up the next slide. So number one, the legal resolution. This is part one. I'll preach part two next week. Part one, this is Boaz's pursuit. And it says in verse one, now Boaz had gone to the gate. Now, the gate served in this particular time place uh, or time period as the place that legal things were done. That's where the elders were. uh, And if you wanted to do something, you would go to the gate and you would take your seat at the gate and you'd say, all right, I want to do a legal transaction. But usually everybody would eventually walk by the gate. So when the legal transaction person that you wanted to deal with would come by, you would stop them and you say, hey, come here. You'd call the 10 elders or how many ever elders would be there. You'd call them to make a quorum. And then once that happened, uh, that's enough people to make a decision. Uh, That's where it happened. So Boaz went up to the gate and he sat down. He's like, I do want to take care of this today. Uh, And so, and behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. This behold uh, is helping us see that God's providential hand is moving. There's, There's no accidents here uh, at all. When a chance chanced upon Ruth going upon uh, Boaz's field, that's God's providential hand. And it just so happens that whenever Boaz goes there and he comes up to this this place and he's waiting for the guy, he's not going to have to wait very long because the providential hand had already waked up this guy that morning and just made him happen to be walking by the gate. This is how God is moving in this particular place. And so he didn't just happen to come by. This is God's providential hand bringing him by. And this behold here is helping us see that this other guy that's been mentioned all along uh, that has kind of the first position to be able to buy all the possessions of Elimelech and take Ruth he has the first position and so uh, that's the one thing that's keeping them from getting married and so he he goes up there because he wants to find this guy to say hey you're in first position you need to buy the field and and marry Ruth and if you don't want to do it then I want to do it Uh, and so behold helps us understand that this guy's coming by now this guy is for this entire time uh, not named. We don't know why he's not named. And you can see here, and Boaz said, turn aside friend. Now, in, we have in our, in our English Bible, friend, but that's not actually the Hebrew. The Hebrew is Poloni Almoni. And that's just kind of like putting two words that rhyme. Uh, like we do that, like hodgepodge, heebie-jeebies. We do that with all kinds of words. And this is just in Hebrew, a Hebrew idiom, like saying like, hey, Mr. So-and-so, come over here. Or, hey, Mr. What's-a-face, I want to talk to you. And so he calls him, hey, Mr. Poloni Almoni. I don't know why he calls him that. If you want to do- start doing that with each other, Poloni Almoni. And it just means, it's kind of like the equivalent in English of Mr. So-and-so. So when Mr. So-and-so is walking by, he's like, hey, so-and-so, come over here. Got some work to do. Want to talk to you. Got to get a, got to get a deal done. And so Mr. So-and-so is like, hey, all right, let's, let's get the deal done. Let's, let's do this. And so he calls him over and he says, uh, hey, Mr. So-and-so, come over here and sit down. And he turned aside and he sat down and he took the men of the elders of the city and he said, sit. So they sat down. So in, in verses one through two, uh, what we see here is Boaz is trying to get everything ready for the court of action. He's ready to start talking. And then we, once we get to verse three through eight, we're going to see the actual court proceedings happen. Happening. And so they all sat down and thus begins in verses three through eight, this court proceedings. And in the court proceedings, there's going to be a back and forth. Boaz is going to talk. Mr. So-and-so is going to talk. Boaz is going to talk. Mr. So-and-so is going to talk. And then Mr. Bo- uh, Mr. So-and-so is just going to be like, here, you can have it. So um, now in this, the writer is wanting us to see that there's a heavy emphasis on Boaz and a, 
and a quite a major de-emphasis on Mr. So-and-so. As, even in the way that he writes. Miss Boaz gets 93 words. Mr. So-and-so gets 19. I'm going to call him Mr. So-and-so the whole time. Just because I'm not going to say Polonia Almonia over and over. So like, he gets 19 words. The writer's wanting us to put all the emphasis on Boaz. Because he is, in, in all senses, the main character. He wastes no time. It's no time in verse three and he gets right to the heart of the matter. Uh, He doesn't need to talk about Ruth. The heart of the matter is this field and purchasing of this field, which is all that was kind of left of Elimelech's household. And once I can buy that, I've got it all. So you can see in verse three, then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back for the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. Now, there's a lot in this. And he doesn't waste any time. And he talks about Naomi who has this land that she's selling. And he needs to uh, purchase it in order for things to happen. So although the previous conversations at the threshing floor the, the previous night didn't mention anything of land. Boaz knew that gaining the right to using Naomi's land was the key to winning the right hand of Ruth. Like that's the key to getting married. And so he knew all that. And so he comes up. Now this land back then, is, it isn't like our land today. We, we think of, I buy this land. If I don't like it, I'll sell it or whatever. And in a lot of senses, we would say, God gave me the land because I bought it. And, and that's the truth. But in Israel, it's not like that. Like God literally gave them the land. Like, and, and when he did, he gave 12 tribes each plots of land. And inside those families of, tw- of the 12 tribes of Israel, you inside this particular people, you, this clan gets it and this clan gets this. So the land for them was something that God had literally given the family. And it was a big deal. And so whenever you, selling would happen, this, this word sell, it's kind of a tricky way to talk about it because it's not like selling as in you get it all for, forever, like we sell. Uh, this, this verb makar, sell, can also mean to give. And the word, that word in Judges 3, 4, and 10 is like the Lord sold or gave Israel into the hand of an enemy. It's not exactly selling. So this selling uh, really means that you're going to give the parcel of land to a particular person. And they had to be within the same family because they were allowed to use the land for five, six years or so until the 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 year of Jubilee happened. And then you made as much money as you could on that parcel of land for that five or six years. But after the year of Jubilee, that family got it back. So they sold it to you for you to make some money on it for a little while, but it eventually got back to them because God gave that clan or that family or that tribe, that land, and it's theirs and you can't have it forever in perpetuity. And so nevertheless, uh, this selling is, is a little bit of a, of a tricky way because what he's doing is selling it to them for some time so that you can make some money. But that also gave Naomi some money to be able to kind of get. But eventually Naomi gets it back because it's a land given to this family by God. So, uh, but nevertheless, you had to purchase it. The, the Goel, the Redeemer, would purchase it. as So this was really a law of love, a way to help people within your clan to be able to bounce back from hard times and not take their stuff from them forever. But nevertheless, let them be able to. It was, it was a way for families to care for other families with money um, that had money in a way that's loving. And so when they do this, this is what's being proposed by Boaz to Mr. So-and-so. Hey, this parcel of land's up and it belonged to our relative Elimelech. And I thought you would, I would tell you about it because you're in first position. You're allowed to have it first. So if you want to do it, you can do it. 
Uh, and he says, buy it in the presence of those sitting here in the presence of the people. If you'll redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me so I'll know. So there's no one else that can redeem it besides you. So if you want to do it, you can. Now, um, having the first right or refusal, Mr. So-and-so gets to decide whether he wants to acquire it or not. And if he does, then he can. But if not, then it's Boaz's. And so hearing this, he's thinking to himself, well, I can take this land for a while. I can make some money off of it. I know I got to give it back, but nevertheless, I can make some money. The, the price that this, this widow, and widows weren't even really allowed to sell things, so it was naturally going to come back to her anyway. The, the price that I can get this for is pretty cheap, and I can make some money off of it in this, even in the short-term run. So yeah, I'm going to do that. That sounds good. And so in verse 4D, you can see, and he said, I will redeem it. So even in the language, like big, huge speech by Boaz, and the answer is, I will redeem it. Now, for on the face value, it's a good deal. And why not take the deal? Uh, I will respond. For very little money, he could carry out the family duty. It would enhance his reputation and, and the city. And everybody would think he's a really nice guy financially. It was a, it was a bargain. He, there's not really any risk. He would invest some money into the years of, of this land. He would make some, some produce. He would harvest these crops. And eventually, he would make all the money back. And then he has to give the land back. So he's going to make some money. Uh, if Ruth happened to be watching this, which I doubt she was, uh, I don't think she was there. If she happened to be watching it, I'm sure her heart sunk here. Like, oh gosh, this isn't going to go well. Uh, and so he's, he tells him, okay, uh, Boaz tells him, okay, well, you can redeem it. Then Boaz says, and he's going to get uh, even more, he's going to, he's going to let Mr. So-and-so know this transaction is a little bit more complex than you think by acquiring these rights. There's also a, mo- a woman that comes with this. It's kind of like if you were to go buy a house from someone and said, Hey, you can buy the house. Uh, but if you buy the house, my mother-in-law gets to stay here. Uh, so, and, and her, her foreign daughter, you want to still buy it? Uh, it's kind of what Boaz is going to, is going to do. Um, now I, I shouldn't tell you, um, Boaz is being, a shrewd businessman, he's not being deceitful. There's nothing in the text that makes us think that Boaz is being deceitful. But he is, I think, being a shrewd businessman. Um, he's wanting to see what's going to happen on the, on the surface, if he's going to say yes or no. When he, when he knows that he, he, he has the right, he goes, okay. And he goes, Boaz, verse 5, where he, he, he plays the, uh, the Ruth card here. And he says, all right, well, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, and he doesn't just call her Ruth, he calls her by her full name that they called her there, Ruth the Moabite. Um, Middle name was the, by the way, Um, Ruth the Moabite. And when he says that, uh, this is going to change the man's calculus. He's going to think a little bit different. You also will acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead of of his inheritance. And so here, the way he introduces it is quite significant. He says, you're going to, uh, he says, you're going to have to, uh, have Ruth the Moabite, and he notes that she's a widow. Uh, we know that she's a widow to Malon, that tells us in 4 9. And you're also going to have to keep the line of Elimelech going. So Na- you're going to purchase Naomi and Ruth. Naomi's a little old to have kids. Ruth isn't, so you're going to have to marry Ruth the Moabite and have kids with her. And then when that happens, um, you need to know that when you have a child with Ruth the Moabite, uh, he's going to take back possession of this land and the land that you own, whatever that is, he's going to become the heir of all that. So he's going to get everything, the Moabite son that you're going to have to have. And the guy's thinking about us and he's like, ah, I'm not sure that this is what I want. Now, if you're thinking here, what is it? I've been thinking about this for a while. Uh, I don't think that it's just, you know, simple 
love at first sight. But what is it that draws Boaz to this Moabite woman that he loves her so much? Why is it that most people find this? No, she's, she's not, I'm not interested in that. But Boaz seems to have this tender heart. Of course, you can say, well, it's God. God tender, tenderized his heart. God made his heart tender towards, I don't know, made his heart tender towards her. Uh, and yes, of course, that's it. But I think there's more to it. And I think that if we think about it more deeply, that we'll find something pretty amazing. And when we see this, uh, it, should, it should make us, I think, be more tenderhearted towards people. Now, what would it be about Boaz? Now, uh, I want to I start somewhere that's a little, a little bit different, maybe, that you would think. So, in, in Joshua, this is a, a generation or so before them, before the period of the Judges. You have Joshua trying to get into the promised land. Um, and it says this, And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shemtim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went out and came to the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab. And they lodged there and they use basically uh, this prostitute Rahab to try to figure out how they're going to get into the promised land. Uh, And they basically make this deal with her. Like if you let us in, we won't hurt you or your family. Everybody else, they're going to get, they're going to get destroyed, but not you. Uh, And when they did, they kept the deal in Joshua chapter six. But the two men who had spied out the land of Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her as you swore to her and the young men. Hoahite spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and her brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought her out of the relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the city with fire and everything it is in it. Only the gold and silver and the vessels of bronze and iron that they had put in the treasury into the house of the Lord were saved. But Rahab, the prostitute and her father's household and all belonged to her, uh, belonged to her. Joshua saved alive. And she lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out to Jericho. So, there's this random story in the book of Joshua where you read this about Rahab who helped the Israelites get into the promised land. Well, we read later on in the book of Matthew, this genealogy where Matthew, who's writing to people who are Jewish, gives us genealogy. And when we read it, we find something quite amazing. Whenever we're seeing that there's this nation on the father of Salmon, this guy Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab, by Rahab. And so now we see a little bit about Boaz a little bit later on. Boaz had a mom that was a prostitute, Rahab. And so when I read all that, I start to understand a little bit more. He had watched, he had grown up as a child, watching his mother be a prostitute and live as an outcast of society. And he sympathized with her. He sympathized with her greatly. And that tenderness of being a child, watching how his mother, you, you can only imagine all the things he heard his mom called his entire life. You can only imagine. But nevertheless, he loved his mom. And he grew up as an older guy, not getting married. And he had a tender heart towards his mom. And I think that that tender heart towards his mom was extended out into the outcasts, all kinds of women. And I think that's whenever he heard Naomi's story, he had a tender heart towards when he hears the Moabite born in the line of Lot, always known as seductress, seduction women. Whenever she comes in, he has a tender heart towards her. And he sees that she's a true convert into Yahweh. And that 
that sympathy that he feels towards his mom, Rahab, who was a prostitute, who probably had all kinds of things said his entire life that he hated. That sympathy extends into this lady, uh, Ruth. And so I think that that's what's going on here. Is it why is it that he loves her so much? Of course, God made his heart tender. But I think also he just had a sympathy towards people that had, especially women that had had their, their whole life where they were on the outside. And so here, not only is he sympathetic towards her and tender heart, but he loves her. He loves her and he wants to make Ruth his bride. And so he says to her, when you do this, in verse 5, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead to his heritage. And when Mr. So-and-so hears that, he's just thinking like a businessman. He's like, bad investment, not willing to do it. What matters more to me is making sure I can make good money. And Boaz hears that and he's like, you know, maybe it is a bad investment, but I get to have a wife and a child. It's not about money to me. When I hear you say no to something that you think looks so bad, I see it and I think, oh, this looks so great. I can redeem this woman. I can redeem this family. I can come in and I can be her husband and I can perpetuate the name of Elimelech. I get to be a redeemer. And that sounds great. And listen, this is exactly how Jesus looks at us. If he looked at us like Mr. So-and-so, bad investment, why would I do that? Well, we would all still be going to hell with no hope. But Jesus isn't like Mr. So-and-so. Jesus is like Boaz. Uh, Boaz is like Jesus. And he looks at them and he has major sympathy for us. The outcasts, the sinners, the people who are in desperate need of hope. And he says, yes, I'll buy that. And I'll redeem that. And I'll make it great. Boaz doesn't look at it as some kind of financial investment. He looks at it as, I get to be a dad. I get to be a husband. It's the same way Jesus looks at us. And so... The Redeemer says in verse 6 what we would expect him to say. Upon further review, I'm going to say no. I cannot redeem it for myself lest I impair my own inheritance. If I have a son, he gets all this stuff. And I have to let a Moabite foreigner, half-blood Jew get all this stuff? No, sir. No way. No how. That's not what I'm interested in. Bad investment for me long term. Not interested in my name being that kind of person. I don't want that. Take my right of redemption for yourself. I cannot redeem it. Boaz moves from second position to first position. And now it's all green lights for him. And he looks at this investment as something great. Not just well, how much money can I make out of it? And, and that's not what Boaz is interested in anyway. If we, if we were thinking that's the case, he would never given all this free food to her in, ch- in chapter three and chapter two. But that's not who he is. He's a man of generosity. And he lets, he lets God figure that out for him. He wants to be a man that loves God. And so... Uh, he's going to spend a lot of money on this. There's no doubt about it. But Mr. So-and-so is not interested in spending this much money. He's not interested in being this kind of person that wants to redeem Ruth the Moabite. And so uh, Boaz is. Now, now, verse 7 is this little uh, parenthetical comment. I, I think I know the irony. It's funny that I'm saying it's a parenthetical comment, making a parenthesis. But it is like it's just. It's likely that even when this story was written, they didn't do this custom anymore. This story was clearly written after David uh, because it mentions David. So, you know, 
they weren't even doing it when this story was written, likely. That's why this verse 7, this verse 7 is just inserted in for a second so we can understand the narrative. Now, this was the custom in the former times in Israel because it's not anymore in, in times of Israel whenever this was written. Uh, concerning redeeming exchanging to confirm a transaction. One drew off a sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So this is like uh, the notary public receipt, the closing papers, the handshake at the end of the deal. It's, it's all that kind of put in together. Like, all right, here, you, you can have it. It's all yours. And it's just basically the idea. If we're going to buy this land, we're going to walk out and here's, it goes to here and here it goes to here. And this is it. All right, we walk this land and here it is. Here, you, you can take my sandal and this means like, uh, I won't walk on this land anymore. It's yours. And so he would give him the sandal. And that was kind of the, the way it would happen. So when the redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he took off his sandal and he handed it to him. And as soon as that happens, I mean, Boaz is, he's got to just be like, woohoo in his head, right? So verse nine, you can see how excited he's going to get. And he starts, he busts out into everything here in verses nine and 10 into the speech. Then Boaz said to the elders, and so you are my witnesses in verses nine are the bookends in verse 10. You can see it in verse nine, you are my witnesses and it ends, you are my witnesses, you are witnesses this day. And so he makes this statement in verses nine and 10, bookended with you are my witnesses. And this statement that he makes in verse nine is about the estate of Elimelech, the estate and all the things that Elimelech had. And verse 10 is about Ruth. You are my witnesses this day. I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malon. About the estate, but here's the most important part, he tells in verse 10. Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife. She's mine now. She's not yours anymore. You can't have her, Mr. So-and-so. I bought her. I get to have her. She gets to be my wife. And I see this as a great deal to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native places, native place. You are my witness this day. And so he says, I bought her. He makes the deal, makes sure that everybody can see it. And when he does notice uh, his goal is threefold. It's told us threefold and his desire is to, to redeem Ruth. And as he does it, he wants to do it in in three different ways. And all three of these ways are not self-interested. Notice what he says to establish the name of the deceased The first thing he wants to do is establish the name of the deceased or perpetuate the name of the dead. The second thing is to prevent his name from being cut off, which in this day, if you didn't have any sons and your name was cut off, this was one of the most fearful curses that any man had. And so it's not self-interested. He's trying to help Elimelech. The first thing he wants to do is establish the name of the deceased. The second is to prevent his name from being cut off. And the third thing is to prevent the name of Elimelech to not having a representation even at the city gate. All three of those things are not self-interested. They're others interested. And Sinclair Ferguson says this. There lies his godliness. Boaz's godliness. His likeness to the great covenant God. Who at great expense redeemed his people from Egypt. And at great, infinitely great expense will redeem sinners through the gift of a son of the cross. This is, he's totally others interested right now is what Boaz. He's just like Jesus in Philippians 2, where he counted others as more significant than himself. And he came out of humility to come and die for us. And so we should definitely be like this. And then we see in verse 11, once he makes this statement and he's got it, like he's got the shoe in his hand. He's like, I got her. This is all mine. Everybody understands. Um, 
all the people, the, el- the 10 elders were there. But it seems like as the transaction was going down, like s- some people that were walking by, they're like, I'm going to stop in here and watch this. And so all kinds of people had started gathering up around this particular place. And it says, then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said this. And so they broke out into a uh, cinematic course. This is where, like, if you're watching the movie, uh, the really cinematic part of the music starts pumping up really high. And it's like, and they're all like, we are witnesses. We see it. It happened. Woo-hoo! And like, this is the high point where finally the, the love story that you love watching is like, everything just got better at the very end. And so the music's really high and they all scream out, yes, we're witnesses. High fives and hugs everywhere. We're going to do this. Like, it's awesome. And so after they, they all scream, we're witnesses. And by the way, that's important because the bookends of, of nine and 10 saying that we're witnesses. And then they're finally shouting out, yes, we're witnesses. We see to it what you've done. We agree that this is great. And then we have this amazing thing here after the, the cinematic cue where the crowd goes wild. They scream out to him a threefold blessing. They, they offer up a threefold blessing right here in verses 11 and 12. The first thing, the blessing is directed towards Ruth. And they say, we want Ruth to build up the house of Boaz. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house. Uh, this is Ruth like Rachel and Leah who together built up the house of Israel. And so the first blessing that they pray is towards, towards Ruth, that she would build up the house of Boaz. And you can remember that Rachel and Leah, along with their two handmaids, they bore Jacob 12 sons and they built up the house of Israel. And so the people are then asking the Lord to give Ruth a place beside the great mothers of the people of God and saying that Ruth, the Moabite, deserves a seat at the table among all the matriarchs of Israel like Leah and Rachel. That's an amazing thing for the elders and the people to pray towards this Ruth the Moabite. This is extraordinary because Moabites don't have this place and we know that she does. I mean, she really does. She's the, she gives birth to Obed, who gives birth to Jesse, who gives birth to David. And then about 25 more later, Jesus. Like Ruth is the great 25 times grandmother of Jesus. And so this, this blessing comes to fruition. The next blessing you can see is right after that. Uh, may you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in, in Bethlehem. This second prayer is, is uh, if the first one was towards Ruth and that her name would be great among all the mothers of Israel. The second one is directed towards Boaz and that his reputation would be awesome in Bethlehem. It's not just a prayer for prosperity and good reputation. It's a prayer for the reputation of this whole family to be great. It's a prayer that he would have renown, that, that his name would be famous in all of Bethlehem. And they didn't know, of course, how great his name would be Jesus himself would also be born in Bethlehem. And the third blessing they pray, uh, if the first one was for Ruth and the second was for Boaz, the third one is for both of them and for something beautiful to come out of this. So it says this, And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So if you're unfamiliar with Tamar, you can read Genesis 38 later on this afternoon. It's a little PG-13, uh, so you might want to 
you know, not read it with your five-year-old. But nevertheless, this lady uh, eventually has babies with Judah. She has twins. um, And that particular family that came out of there, um, you can see, be like the house of Perez. Um, The house of Perez is this whole family that all these people are in. And so basically this prayer is for something beautiful to come out of something that's kind of seemingly been dark. This, it's been dark that this Moabite had come in, all this is, but we want something beautiful. And of course, something beautiful does come out of this. Obviously, Jesus comes out of this. Uh, the last phrase, though, is pretty significant when it says, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this woman, that the Lord will give you. By this woman, as we see this word offspring, this is the word seed, which has major redemptive history implications. Because back in Genesis 3.15, we know that the seed of woman is going to be the one that's going to come and to defeat Satan, sin and death. When it says that the, the seed of Satan will bruise the heel, that just that's indicating what's going to happen on the cross. That the seed of woman will kill the seed of Satan and that he will crush his head. And so this... It's pointing us not to just this particular story, but the entire greater story of the Bible that's going on. And that it's saying that the offspring will come from here uh, because the offspring the Lord will give you by this woman. That something beautiful will come out of something dark. That Jesus himself will come out of uh, being born to a virgin, being born to, into a small poor family where no one believes it's true, going to the cross. All this is darkness. And of course, there's lots of beauty we can say about Jesus as well. And then, of course, his, his death and burial. But something beautiful comes out of it whenever he defeats Satan, sin, and death. And then <clears throat> becomes the savior of the world. Or is the savior of the world before that. But nevertheless. So I want to conclude with this. I want to conclude with this, which we already talked about. But I want to conclude with it and point us all to Jesus. Verse 10. Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, uh, Boaz exclaims, I have bought to be my wife. Just as Boaz purchased Ruth to be his bride, Jesus also died for us and purchased us to be his bride. Uh, there's, there's a story in Hosea uh, where the book of Hosea is in large part um, symbolic of the people of God. So Hosea is kind of like God. And his bride, Gomer, is like the people of Israel, which is much like us. And she had gone uh, and prostituted herself out, herself out, and she had gotten herself into a debt. And there was no way for Hosea to get her back besides buying her. And God put this deep love into Hosea for this lady, Gomer, who was a prostitute who didn't love him, but would go sleep with other men. He said, God said, I'm going to put this deep love in you, Hosea. And what you're going to do is you're going to go buy her back. And it says this. Uh, verse, this is Hosea three, verse one. And the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. This is what Hosea, this is what Israel was to God and what God's saying. And the same way that Hosea goes and purchases you, this is what God does for us. This is what Christ does for his church. Go again, love a woman who is loved by another woman and is an adulteress. This is us, the church to Jesus. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they return to other gods and love cakes of raisins. And so what happens? Hosea says, so I bought her for 15 shekels and a homer and a lectith of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for all the rest of your days. You won't play the whore or belong to any other man. So I will also be to you. So he goes out and he purchases her and he develops this deep love for her. And he brings her back to his house and he had to purchase her in order to do that. And 1 Corinthians 6 says this about us. 
Or don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. In the same way, we were also bought by God. And one day, uh, when it's all over, we are, are a part of the bride of Christ will be invited in to be at this great day. It says this in, in Revelation 19. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejo- rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. This is where Jesus has He's gone to the cross and he's purchased his bride and there's the final wedding days happening. And that's us. That's the church. And it says, for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And it was granted to his bride to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure as fine linen, uh, as righteous deeds for the saints. And the angel said to me, write this down. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. Meaning those who are in Christ, they're invited to be at this. They are the church. And those are the ones that Jesus bought and purchased. So just as Boaz purchased Ruth to be his bride, Jesus has purchased us. Though we played the part of Gomer, he purchased us anyway. He, he wanted to. He wasn't like Mr. So-and-so and said, bad investment, they're not worth it. Instead, he loves us and he purchased us and he made us his own and brought us to him. And now we are the bride of Christ. If you are invited If you are a believer in Christ, you will be there one day. If you're not a believer right now, become one. It's not some secret invitation that comes to you. Here it is. Here's the invitation. Trust in Christ right now. Become a believer in Jesus. You can be forgiven of all your sin. You are worth the investment. Jesus shows us that when he stretched his arms out on the cross and says, you're worth it. Come right now and be forgiven of all your sin. If you are a believer in Christ, rejoice that Christ Jesus loves you and was willing to give his life for you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you so much that you've given us this amazing story to help us understand your deep love for us. And as Boaz was as just to determine this day,